Looking at our world from a theological perspective, this is the Theology Central Podcast, making Theology Central. Well, good afternoon, everyone. Or, or is it a good afternoon for you? I, you remember this morning when I did a live broadcast, I said, good morning, but not really. It's just kind of morning. I want to say good afternoon, but it's not really a good afternoon either. It's just an afternoon. But in the spirit of being positive, good afternoon, everyone. It is Tuesday, July the 11th, 2023. It is currently 3.19 p.m. Central Time, and I'm coming to you live from the Theology Central Studio located right here in Abilene, Texas, where I believe, I don't know what happened, but somewhere around 10.30 p.m., Last night, so somewhere around 10.30 p.m. on July the 10th, I entered into some kind of time portal, and I went back to the year maybe 1994, 1995, 1996, you know, where, you know, when it comes to the internet and technology, things were not quite as advanced as they are in 2023, because clearly something went way wrong. I don't know if I opened the wrong door. I don't know if I was in a DeLorean doing 88 miles per hour. I don't know what happened, but I went back in time. I didn't go, I didn't get to go forward to see all the new things that are waiting for us in the future and to see if AI has taken over the world and destroyed humanity. No, 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 no. I went backwards, back to the time when the internet was still, you know, for the average person in its infancy, at least for the average person and, and how to navigate it and how to get like, oh yeah. Okay. Here's what happened around 1030 PM. I had this great idea. Let's go to the Sword of the Lord website. Because Sword of the Lord, they will be holding their national conference on July the 17th, 2023. And we, and they're going to live stream it. And the live stream is free. So I, I did a broadcast yesterday telling everyone about the Sword of the Lord conference coming up in July, uh, on July the 17th, 2023 told everyone, hey, you watch it. We'll talk about it. We'll do podcast episodes about it. We'll take notes. Maybe we'll compile all of the notes of everything that happened because it will give us an opportunity to kind of look into that world of theology, the independent fundamental Baptist KJV only type world, see what they're talking about, what they're focused on. And and it, it should be fun. It should be interesting. And maybe we'll be challenged. And and who knows? It'll be, it, it should be a fun time, right? And so then I came up with the idea. Well, wait a minute. That's the 2023 conference. What were they doing in 2022? Let's find the audio for the 2022 conference and we'll review some of the, we'll review, analyze, and critique some of the 2022 conference so that we can contrast it with the 2023 conference, right? We can see, did, have their concerns changed? Have, has their approach changed? What issues do they think are, are facing the church? It would be, I think it would be fascinating. So I'm like, where can I find all the audio files for the 2022 conference? And I went to the Sword of the Lord website and I'm like, oh, I can order all of the audio files and one MP3 audio album. That will be simple. I'll buy it. 
obviously we'll know what happens because it's an MP3 file. As soon as I buy it, they'll, they'll send me a link. I'll download all the files and then I'll wake up today, July the 11th, 2023. And guess what? We'll start reviewing some of them. It'll be a day of sermon reviews, of critique, analysis, challenge, fun, Bible interpretation, hermeneutics, theology. It'll be wonderful. And I, and guess what happened after I ordered it last night? There was no download link. They sent me an email confirmation saying, hey, your purchase went through. We're processing it. I'm like, what are you processing? It's an MP3. Just send me the link and I'll download the files. No, 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 nothing. So then today I, I contacted them and they're like, well, we don't really know what's going on. We don't have any proof of your order. I'm like, what do you mean you don't have any proof of the order? I've got the receipt right here. It's order. I gave them the order number. Where's my MP3 files? Where I just want the link. Just email me the link, right? And nobody could tell me what was going on. Everyone seemed perplexed. Everyone seemed confused. Emails, phone calls. Finally, I'm on the phone with them when someone else from Sword of the Lord is calling me on the other line. And finally, I talk to them. They're like, oh, no, we don't send you a link. Are you ready for this? We're going to send you a thumb drive, I'm like, what? <laughs> You're going to send me a thumb drive? It's 2023. Who uses a thumb drive in 2023? Just send me a link, right? I mean, all the files are digital. Just send me a link and then I will download each file. Send me 15 emails with individual links to each one. I don't care how you do it. And so I've now had to wait now for a thumb drive to show up. I think my Mac has a, a place where I can plug in a thumb drive. I hope and I can extract the thumb drive, the uh, MP3, MP, MP3 files from the thumb drive and then upload them and then we will review some of them. But it's like, what... What year is that? And there was nothing on the website that would have indicated, hey, this MP3 album will be <laughs> mailed to you with a thumb drive. Like, what? What is that? Like, I know Christianity is like always 10 years behind the rest of the world, but could we, could we get our technology in 2023? Could we not, right? Could we not? I mean, I, I still don't understand why most churches, their sermons, you like you try to find their sermons and maybe they're on YouTube. Sometimes they have no audio download link. They, many cases, they don't even have them set up to be a podcast where you can listen to them on all the podcasting apps. It's like, what year? I, I, I'm surprised they didn't tell me, we'll be sending you the cassette tapes or, or we'll send you an eight track or wait, we'll send you reel to reel and we'll be sending it via Pony Express. Like I, I couldn't like, what year am I in? So, Sword of the Lord is sending me the 2022 National Sword Conference on a thumb drive. <laughs> what year? So I, I, so I, so I'm really frustrated because I'm supposed to be doing sermon reviews. But then I thought, you know what? You know what? If I look at the speakers for the 2023 Sword Conference, the National Sword Conference. The first speaker is Shelton Smith. In fact, if I look at the schedule for that day, the very first piece, person who will be speaking on Monday, July the 17th, 2023 at the Sword of the Lord National Conference is Shelton Smith. I'm like, okay. So I went to the Sermons 2.0 app 
And I doubt, and I simply searched for Shelton Smith. And guess what? I found all kinds of sermons from Shelton Smith. In fact, I found a sermon that was a part of a preaching conference that just happened over the last few days. Maybe, maybe last week there was a preaching conference. Shelton Smith was one of the speakers. And I'm like, you know what? No, it's not the Sword of the Lord 2022 conference, but it is a preaching conference that happened just a few days ago, and Shelton Smith was one of the speakers. So let's just grab one of those sermons and do do a review for that, only because that's what I'm supposed to be doing now. So that does that sound like a good idea? What 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 a crazy thing that you think you're buying MP3 files and you just think you would just immediately get that email that says here's the link to your download files to your uh, to the to the files enjoy them and, but no I I don't get that and I'm like guys like it's MP3 and they're like we're gonna send you we're gonna put in a box send you a thumb drive <laughs> send it to your house via the United States Postal Service what is that like I don't. When was the last time I used a thumb drive? I don't, it has to have at least been five years, maybe six years. I mean, right? I mean, like, isn't that crazy? I mean, am I the only one who thinks that crazy? I, that, I, I don't get it. I don't understand. Hey, Christianity, let me just tell all, all Christians and churches, can you catch up with the technology? Can you? Can you just catch up with a little bit? Right? We may always be a little bit behind, and I understand being behind because of money. Right. I mean, my podcast, I'm still way behind probably a lot of podcasts, but it's usually money. It's usually resources. But the sword of the Lord, I mean, put it this way. Once you're going to go into once once your ministry turns into a business where you're selling products, right, like the preaching of God's word, you're going to sell it. You're going to turn it into a product to make money off of. Could you then at least create a a business that is somewhat comparable to the businesses of 2023. Because, I mean, you can say they're a ministry, but it becomes a business when you're selling the preaching and teaching of God's Word. So, that just seems crazy to me. Seems absolutely crazy. But I don't know. You may have a different view. Let's just say this. Clearly, the Sword of the Lord and many other Christian ministries and churches, they have not transformed from the technology of the past into the technology of the present. There's still, in many cases, it looks like what things looked like way back in the 1990s, and it just seems crazy. There hasn't been a transformation, or you could say there's been a lack of evolution. They haven't evolved with the times, but they need a full-blown transformation to be transformed formed into a business, a ministry that seems to be somewhat in line with the technological advances that we have experienced from 1995 to 2023, because things have dramatically changed. Now, I'm stressing that word transformation. So now I'm going to transition from how everything has gone wrong today to the sermon that we're going to review that was preached by Sheldon Smith at a preaching conference just in the last few days. Are you ready? So I want you to write down the word transformation. I do want you to write down that word. If you're taking notes and if you would like to participate today, write down the word transformation. If you cannot 
take any notes right now because you may be listening while you're working, driving, whatever the case may be. Well, if you're driving, just pull over to the side of the road. No, I'm joking. All right. Just remember the word transformation. If you look up the definition for transformation, you'll read this. All right. A thorough or dramatic change in form or appearance. Uh, they have something like a metamorphosis during the life cycle of an animal, all right? But it's a thorough or dramatic change. It's it's thorough. It's 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 a complete, total transformation. It's a total change impacting everything. It's a complete metamorphosis. Now we we probably understand that transformation, that metamorphosis. You probably see it. Now, even though it's a slow thing, even though it's gradual, but you can see it with aging. Go look at pictures of yourself when you were 20. Now, some of you, depending on how old you are, it may not seem that that dramatic, but look at a picture when you were 20 and then look at a picture now when you say you're in your 50s. That it's It's pretty dramatic. It's like a metamorphosis happened. It's like a total transformation. You look like a completely different person. Now, typically it's very, it it probably feels for at least for most as a very negative thing. You're like, what just happened to me? It's painful. It's depressing. It's discouraging. It's frustrating. But, but you can see that. Like if you look at that picture from then versus now. Now, sometimes maybe the transformation is good. You're like, wow, I look really, I'm much, much better than I did then. If it's a positive transformation, great. It can be a negative one as well. But transformation for a Christian is something that we all long for. I don't know about you. I long to be totally transformed spiritually. That what I was is not what I am. It's been a dramatic metamorphosis. It's been a complete transformation. Now, much of Christianity preaches that transformation as almost being instantaneous, right? If anyone is in Christ, he's a new creature. Old things are passed away. All things have become new. Well, they speak of that as a total transformation of metamorphosis that happens instantaneously, and they don't preach it as something that happens positionally, but happens practically. That practically, because you become a Christian, you now are transformed. I reject that teaching. I believe I am completely transformed positionally because I'm saved by an imputed righteousness. I am now declared to be perfectly righteous. I am in Christ, a new creature. The old is gone, all is new. But practically, I have not been transformed. That total transformation will happen in glorification where the sinful nature is completely gone. I no longer have this fleshly body. I have a new body. No more sin, no more pain, no more sickness, no more death. That's the ultimate transformation. But what about transformation here in the here and now, in the practical realm, in your life? Because we read passages like this, Romans chapter 12, and be not conformed to this world, but be ye transformed by the renewing of your mind. So in salvation, we are transformed. This is very important. In salvation, we are transformed instantaneously, 
positionally in Christ. Now I'm holy. I'm perfect. I'm without sin. I'm righteous. I'm obedient. I'm a new creature. The old is gone. The old is gone. All is new. In practice, though, I'm still very much a sinner, still very much with a sinful nature, still very much not transformed. So then you can say the process of transformation begins there. But how do we, is it truly, do we ever get transformed or are we always trying to be transforming? But there's lots of books, lots of sermons preached on this transformation. And it's really weird because on, depending on the sermon, some sermons are, you are completely transformed at the moment of your salvation, which almost seems to imply an infused righteousness because they don't preach it as an imputed righteousness, but as a transformation that happens practically, not positionally. But then they'll turn around and then preach another sermon saying, be ye transformed now. Well, I thought I was already transformed. So was I or was I not transformed at salvation? Because you told me the minute I became a Christian, Christian, that I'm a new creature, the old is gone, all is new. And you said that that was true practically. But then you turn around and tell me that I need to be going through the process of transformation. So was I or wasn't I? It really depends on what passage they're preaching. One moment they're like, you, the minute you became a Christian, you were transformed. Everything was changed. Everything was new. And then, you know, six months later, they're like, now you need to be being transformed. Well, I thought I was already transformed. So was I? Am I? Who knows? Depends on this. Sometimes pastors don't even realize how we're contradicting ourselves. We were transformed completely positionally. And practice, I think we're still going through that transformation process. But what does that look like? Now, I bring all of that up because the sermon we're going to review is entitled, Be Ye Transformed by Dr. Shelton Smith from a preaching conference that just recently happened. I have no idea what what direction he's going. I have no idea where he is taking this. But we're going to find out, I guess, And how to be transformed. That's where I guess we're going. So were we transformed? Are we being transformed? How does it work? Well, inquiring minds want to know, at least I do, because I would love to be more transformed than I am. Because the one thing I know is after all of these years of being a Christian, I'm still very much a sinner. Still very much present in me is a sinful nature. Desires, thoughts that are ungodly. Still very much present within me. So how am I to experience this transformation practically? I know I've experienced it positionally, and I know I will experience it perfectly in glorification in eternity. But what does the here and now look like? Let's see how he approaches the text. Here we go. Uh, uh, let's let's try that again. Good morning. Ah, uh, now you're now you're clicking. <clears throat> you know, I thought maybe I needed to say something like uh, "Buenos dias" or uh, "Shalom, Shalom." <laughs> I'd forgotten where I was, but uh, <clears throat> but you have awakened, so that's good. And I'm delighted that you're here. And Pastor is exactly right. <clears throat> I, I, I do I do so much better when Betty's here. <laughs> I've told her, you know, uh, I, I stay in a lot of nice hotels, like the one I'm in over here. And uh, but I I tell her, no hotel, no hotel, even begins to compare. 
you're sitting there looking at four walls, and uh, like you say, when it gets down time near to time to go home, I mean, you, <clears throat> I can almost hear my car saying, uh, hey, are we going? Are we going? <laughs> uh, but anyway, it's a delight to have her here, <clears throat> and and uh, I promise you, you come around, shake her hand. She'll be uh, she'll be nice to you. I gave her instructions, but anyway, <laughs> no, she's she's a very people a very people person. So, tell you what, do I want you to turn to Romans chapter twelve, Romans chapter twelve, and uh, I'm going to try to do something here that may be impossible. <clears throat> uh, the last well, since late February, I have been the unofficial interim pastor at our home church, Bellwood Baptist Church in Murfreesboro. Now, I'm still traveling, but uh, there, I was home three Sundays in March, two in April, one in May. I'm planning to be home one in June, one in July. So all those Sundays I'm preaching at Bellwood, and I'm doing all the Wednesday nights. Okay, well, maybe this wasn't preached a couple of days ago. Maybe it was just posted a couple of days ago because he said he he plans on being home in June and July as if it wasn't June or July. So um, who knows then? Maybe I don't have the correct dates. This was preached by Shelton Smith at some point at a preaching conference in 2023, or at least that's when the sermons were posted. I could possibly look here. Well, I'm not going to I'm not going to look up and try to get the exact date because ultimately it doesn't really matter, but there we go. Sometime recently. And obviously it's going to be in Romans chapter 12. Let's see where this goes. And I like I say kind of the unofficial interim pastor. And um, during that three Sunday stretch that I had in March, um I did what I'm about to give you uh for the auditorium Bible class, but I took three three Sundays to do it. So <clears throat> I'm going I'm going to do my best to do this and uh, in one setting. So if if I fire a little rapidly, you'll you'll understand why that I I want you to see this whole picture here, and we'll we'll do that in a moment. At the end of the class, when we get done this hour, I'm going to give you something. Uh, this just came off the press a few weeks ago, maybe a month ago now. But it's a, it's a pamphlet that I did entitled The Old Time Religion. And then the byline on it is Endorsed, Explained, and Embraced. And, you know, sometimes we talk about uh, things like liberalism or uh, neo-modernism, things like that, and we, we use the terms, but, okay, what are we saying? I think the same thing's true when we say, well, we're old-time religion. Well, what, what do we mean by that? And, uh, and I've, I've tried to lay it out pretty clearly here. Now, I do find it interesting because I have heard that phrase. Remember, a lot of the schools I went to were very much in the world of the independent fundamental Baptist. So I'm very much familiar with that, those, world, those worlds, Bible institutes, Bible colleges, seminaries, etc. And it's always about getting back to the old time religion, the old time religion. And I always find it interesting because a lot of people love that terminology. Now, some people won't say old-time religion. Some people say we need to get back to the church of the early church or the apostolic 
church. And everyone, but everyone, what's amazing is everyone uses similar language. We want to get back to the historic church, the early church, the old time religion. Everyone uses that language, but they don't mean the same thing. Some say we need to get back to the early church, and they're like full-blown liturgy. I, I hire, hire a, a church government that's more based off a hierarchy, um, a, maybe a magisterial authority, maybe a pope or something along those lines. Some will say we need to get back to, you know, basically apostolic succession where the, the, we have apostles and, and we get back to miracles and signs and wonders and we get back to acts. Some people want to borrow certain parts of acts, not with all apart because most people don't want to sell all that they have and have it in common and, or meet every single day or, or have sermons going till midnight. Like, so everyone wants to kind of get back to the, or what they think the early church is, but no one can seem to agree on exactly what that looks like, right? Some people like it's supernatural, it's apostles, it's miracles, it's demons being cast out, people speaking in tongues. It's, it's apostolic succession. Apostolic, you know, we, 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 we have the apostles. Others like it's very liturgical. It's very, you know, somber. It's, it's, you know, vestments. It's basically priest. It's, it's, it's a, it's a system of hierarchy where you have bishops and cardinals and others are like, no, 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 no. It's not that. It's, it's, you know, basically conservative, like almost like an independent fundamental Baptist kind of way of thinking. And it's like, well, we all can't be right of what the old time religion looked like. Who, who seems to have then, like, how can we disagree on what it looked like back then? Isn't it weird that everyone who says, let's get back to the early church, some will say we shouldn't even have church building. We're going to get back to the early church. We're only going to meet in homes. The house church movement is a call to get back to the early church. Everyone wants to get back to the early church, but nobody can seem to agree on what that looks like. Isn't that somewhat kind of, I don't know, that troubles me, that bothers me, right? You think we should be able to, like of all the things Christians can't agree on, can we find some agreement at what the early church actually looked like? And I, I don't know, but all right. Let, so he wrote a pamphlet. And at the end of this, he's going to give everyone this pamphlet about getting back to the old time religion, what that actually looked like. All right, let, let's see if that shows up in the sermon in any way, shape, or form. And at the same time, nail some of that other stuff that needs to be tacked to the wall good and hard. So I, I'm going to give you a copy of that uh, I think I've got enough one per family, and I'll give those to you at the end. And of course, I've got a book table out there that you may want to look at later. All right, let's look at uh, let's look at Romans chapter twelve. I'm, uh, I'm I'm really looking forward to being here all day today, and then I'll be in on the service tomorrow night. Brother Harper's coming. Who else we got coming this week? Yeah, Brother Powell from. From Huron, Tennessee. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think I met him here before. Yeah, yeah, I did. And uh, of course, Brother Allison's been here a bunch of times, and and uh, he always comes with both barrels loaded, <laughs> and Brother Harper as well. So I know you're going to have a great week ahead. All right, Romans chapter 12. Let's look at verses 1 and 2. I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. And be not conformed to this world, but be ye transformed by the renewing of your mind that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. Now, I'm going to pause in the reading there uh, 
to kind of set the theme for what this chapter is about. When this, cha- when this chapter, when this uh, second verse talks about being transformed, it's not talking about being reformed. Reformation is not the subject here. Uh, it's not talking about being conformed. And conforming and reforming is probably their cousins to each other. But, uh, but a lot of folks have seemingly the idea... Uh, they they walk in and they say, oh, this is church and this is a Bible and so whatever whatever's going, uh, I'll just I'll just find what the directions are and I'll fit into that. And so they conform their life to whatever it is that somebody says they should do. Oh, this is interesting. This is not about reformation and it's not about conformity. It's not about conforming. I wonder how many people in their Christian lives followed a path of conformity. Now that you're a Christian, here's a Bible, here's church, here's what you do, here's how you talk, here's how you dress, here's the things you do for fun, here's the things you don't do for fun, here are the things you're supposed to, and just follow a path of conformity. How much of Christianity is literally nothing more than a path of conformity. Just like when many kids, and the only thing I can reference it to is the first day of high school, right? When I walked into the front doors of Jim Ned High School in Tuscola, Texas, immediately there were all the, you know, juniors and seniors and they were yelling at all the freshmen and like you had to get down and push a penny with your nose. They were making, they're basically hazing you, doing all of these things. And most of the freshmen just fell in line and did it. Now, of course, if you know me, yes, I did not go along with any of it, said I'm not participating in any of your reindeer games and I don't care. And I set myself up for all, you know, years of problems, but I wouldn't conform, right? I wouldn't conform to what no, I'm not doing any of this stuff. I'm not. And, and, and I was constantly asking questions. Well, why do we have to do this? And why even all the way through my four years of high school, when it got to the end, I'm like, why do I have to go to graduation? I'm not going to graduation. Who says I have to go to just send me? And like, if you don't come to graduation, you will not get your diploma. And like, and I'm like, why, why do I have to follow any of these rules? It makes no sense. Right. But I wonder for many people, because I think people are naturally inclined to conformity. I think a lot of people, when they become a Christian, they just naturally, this is their new social structure. This is their new world. They conform to it. I wonder how much of your Christianity is not transformation, but confirmation. It's conforming. I wonder how much of your Christianity is not transforming, but it's conforming. I wonder how much of your trans, of your Christianity is reformation instead of transformation. Now, that's a really interesting point. It is because I know when I became a Christian, I know I found out really quick. Okay. You can't listen to this music. You can't watch this kind of movie. You can't, you're not supposed to dance. You're not supposed to do like all of these, like these were the expectations. Hmm, that, that, that's, that's a, a pretty interesting thing. That's a pretty interesting thing. All right. Let's see how, where he takes this. And they do it maybe for a while. Sometimes for a long while. But they really have not had the transformation that this passage talks about. The same thing is true about reforming. Sometimes sometimes reformation becomes a big movement where all over the place we say, hey, we're cleaning things up. We're, we're going to get things straightened out. 
and we're, we're going to reform things. A lot of the political process is built that way. But again, that's, that's not where we are here. When this says, in fact, it says pointedly, don't, don't be conformed to this world, but rather be you transformed. Now, this transformation means you are here, but you're coming totally across to here. This is what you were. This is what you're going to be. But you've got to come across and come through something. And, of course, you know, I know, the Bible tells us that is getting converted to Christ, being born again, coming to Christ, being saved. And whenever we have that and have it for real down deep inside, then uh, it's not just a matter of me saying, well, okay, Pastor, what are the rules? But it's a matter of accepting whatever we find in the Word of God and just saying that is who I am today. And that. Okay, now, I, 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 this is interesting. Okay, so I, I'm fascinated by this. I'm fascinated by this. So, he seems to connect this transformation to conversion to that the minute you are saved you are transformed but i don't obviously that's not the case because many in the church have only experienced conforming or reforming not transformation so clearly it's not something that just happens unless you're going to claim that any person who hasn't experienced transformation is not saved well i think that's ridiculous because we know that when you become you you've experienced transformation positionally but practically look at any church you get people who have not been completely transformed they're still sinning they still struggle and not only that this is a command to be ye transformed Right? I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God. He's referring to believers. And it says, be ye transformed. This is not that you got transformed. This is not a call to salvation. This is called to a transformation that seems to happen after conversion. Conversion, salvation, justification is the transformation of us positionally. Practically, we're not. And I think sometimes there's counterfeits to, tra- to transformation. And he pointed to two possible counterfeits out that what you, you were, you are not, don't actually experience transformation. You're experiencing conforming and reforming. Just trying to clean some things up. That's not a transformation and it only lasts temporarily. Conforming. It only lasts for a little bit because you're not truly, you can conform externally, but who you are will finally come out. And someone just says, and it seems to deal with our thinking. That's very, that's very, that's very true. That's a good point. Let's see where he takes this. So I'm at least fascinated by this because I do believe deep down that there is a lot of conforming and reforming in churches. But I think maybe in in a lot of our Christian lives, there's a lack of transforming. But how does the transforming take place? Let's see what he's going to do with this. That's where I'm headed. So the whole theme here is the transformed life. And these first two verses are talking about transformation. Now, if you get down to verse 3, he talks about our thinking. Notice what he says. Uh, I say through the grace given unto me to every man that is among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think soberly according as God hath dealt to every man the measure of faith. So the thinking process will need a change. It'll need a transformation. 
And that thinking that we do, he says, and I think the key phrase there is think soberly. And he's meaning to get our mindset right and get, get our thinking geared correctly. And here's the point of the, of the matter on that. Every action, every action of my fingers, my mind, I mean of my, of my eyes, my ears, every action starts in the brain where the thinking takes place. Now, I would argue that there is a change in thinking at conversion, at salvation. Repentance is a change of mind. We change our mind about sin. We change our mind about God. So there is a transforming there. But I think this changing our mind, our thinking, is forever a part of the Christian life. We're, we're constantly going through trying to change our mind and, and how we think and how we understand and trying to determine when we're thinking right and when we're thinking wrong. So again, this is not an instantaneous thing that happens at conversion. You don't happen at conversion and boom, your thinking is all right. No, your, your thinking has changed about sin and about God and about salvation because that's a change of mind about repentance. But there's a million things you don't think about right. There's a million thoughts and ideas and, 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 and concepts that that you may never get right throughout your Christian life. So once again, this is the idea of the process. So you, we undergo a process. We are to be transformed in our thing. We need to be going through the process of our thinking being constantly changed. And that happens through study of God's words, sermons, you know, all of those kinds of things. All right, let's see where, where he goes. So the thinking gives direction to the doing. And your doer never does anything that your thinker hasn't thought of. So if you get your thinker thinking right, your doer will do right every time. Oh boy. If you get your thinker right, then your doer will do right every single time. Oh man. So every time you sin, it's because your thinking is wrong. Now, I do believe we need to have right thinking. By no means am I dismissing this, but this seems almost like the power of positive thinking. If you think right, then you will do right. All right. Um, so I, I, I don't, I don't, I, and here's my think, here's my thinking about thinking is that I can think right. I can think right. Remember what Paul said in Romans 7? In my mind, I serve the law of God, but with my flesh, I serve the law of sin. Paul, the things I want to do, I don't do. The things I don't want to do, I end up doing. I think we can get our thinking right as a Christian and still do wrong. I think the thing is for the Christian, if the thinking is right, we will acknowledge that it's wrong. We will feel guilty about it's wrong. We will not excuse it. All right. Um, I, 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 I just don't, I, I just, I don't know if I, I don't know if I see that the right way. Like, Hey, as long as I get my, I, again, using his vernacular, as long as that I get my thinker right, then my doer will be right. But I, I, I that sounds good. That, that preaches good. Hey, ladies and gentlemen, the problem in this church is your thinker is wrong. Get your thinker wrong, right? And then your doer will be right. I, that, that may preach good and I may have that good, like, you know, Tennessee, 
North Carolina vernacular going on. Okay, I think I think he, he, his church is in Tennessee, um, it, and the sword of the Lord I think is located in Tennessee. So um, th- that may sound good, but I just think in practice it, it's to seemingly to deny the reality of the sinful nature. Can my thinking? Can my thinker overcome the sinful nature? Now I think it's critical in the battle of the sinful nature. I think my thinker, right, is me to acknowledge, yes, even though I feel I want to do it, my thinker tells me it's a sin, I still may do it, but at least I can acknowledge it. I, I, I don't know if it's that simple. Hey guys, just get your thinker right, and then you'll, 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 you'll always do right. So you're telling me every time someone commits a sin in the church, it's simply because they weren't thinking right? In many cases, when you talk to them, they know that what they did was wrong. Their thinking was right. But there was something else going on. I, I, oh, I'm not so sure. I'm not so sure. So, the transformed life, verses 1 and 2. Verse 3, well, where are we going to start with that? Well, got to get our thinking. I mean, well, I, I, I used to think, you know, that, uh, you know, I could uh, cheat a little bit on this or that. Or I could, uh, you know, dabble in alcohol a little bit, or I could do that. I used to think like that, and I just thought that was the way everybody did, and it was. But but now then, because of being transformed in Christ, my thinking changes. You see, how does that happen? Well, you know, you read passages in the Bible that tells you about drinking and other related matters, and. Okay, well, then it doesn't happen at salvation. See, he said, oh, well, how does this happen? Well, when you're basically transformed in Christ. Remember, oh, this starts blurring the lines between what salvation is. Justification is a legal declaration where I'm declared to be perfect and transformed because of an imputed righteousness. I'm not actually transformed. I'm just declared to be different. In Christ positionally. On one hand, he wants to say it happens at salvation, but then he's like, well, then you start reading passages. Well, that doesn't, that means it happens subsequent to salvation. Any change happens subsequent to salvation because now what I am positionally, I seek to live out practically. All right, let's see where this goes. Get you to adjust your thinking on that. And so you get your thinker thinking right, you do or does right. And it starts to say, hey, that's wrong, so I will not do that. All right. All right, drop down to verse 4 and 5. The, these two verses, and for the purposes of my outline here, I'm going to call these two verses about teamwork. He says, we have many members in one body, and all members have not the same office, so we being many are one body in Christ, and every one members one of another. Now, uh, let's, let's understand here. Fingers are not toes. Eyes are not ears. If I need to see, it's not my fingers that I'm looking for. If I need to see, my eyes do that. If I need to hear, that's my ears. If I need to, you know, feel, that's my fingers. All right. So he says, he says, your body's got many members. And so it is in relation to the, to the body in Christ, this, this local church has many members. And I'm, I mean, you, you wouldn't have to look around hardly at all to realize that, that no two of us are alike. And guess what? That's okay. That's okay. 
Every member has a function in the body. Every member plays a role in the body. And, you know, uh, let me put it this way too. We need one another. We need one another. I, I, I keep telling people, do you, do you realize church is not something that Brother Savage and I got together on and just said, you know, we ought to do something like that. That's not the reason why you have Bethel Baptist Church. A church is God's idea. It, I mean, it, it was his invention. And he gave it to us, well, for his glory, yes. But it's also for our good. And when the various parts of the body function well, the team, I mean, we, we get it done because of the teamwork. Um, <clears throat> I've played a lot of baseball. I love baseball. Like I got tickets to a baseball game Friday night this week. Shouldn't tell them that, should I? <laughs> no, I do. I'm, I'm going to going to a baseball game Friday night, Lord willing. Okay. I, I'm, I'm trying to follow the transformation theme here. I'm trying to follow the transformation theme. All right. So for we have many members in one body and all members have not the same office. So we being many are one body in Christ and everyone members one of another. He's trying to take the transformation idea and carry it through all the verses in the chapter. Now, hermeneutically, we could ask ourselves, is that the correct way to approach this? Is, is this text saying, be ye transformed by the renewing of your minds? Now here are all the ways in which that transformation should take place. And verse three, the transformation should take place in your thinking. And next, the transformation should occur in the body. Your, the transformation should be in changing your thinking about the body. Like, I, 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 it, it, this sometimes you have this wonderful idea as a pastor or as a Bible student, and you're like, ooh, I love this transformation idea. I'm going to use this and go through the entire chapter applying everything to the transformation idea. Now, that sometimes may work for preaching, but is that is that how we should approach the text? Is everything after verse 2 about transformation? Should it all be connected to, interpreted in light of, and applied to that concept? That, that would be like if we had a group of people here, we could, or we're in a hermeneutics class, we could have a long discussion about that. That seems to be the approach he's taking for the text. Let's see how this works. Now, you say, why, why do you do that? Well, I, I, I don't know, I'm just so crazy about that stuff, but... But you know what happens? What happens to a team like that if you go and and uh, all at once the public address announcer comes on and says, "Folks, uh, we'll, we'll be playing without a third baseman and a shortstop tonight because those guys decided not to uh, do their part." Now, <clears throat> I'm probably going to get up and and leave. well, I may stay just for the comedy. But the bottom line is, I already know if that happens, my Baltimore Orioles are going to lose even if they're playing the, the Oakland A's, who are the worst team in Major League Baseball. I already know they're going to lose that night because you can't win without a third baseman and a shortstop. And so the various members of the team, everyone is important. Everyone. All right? So verses 1 and 2, we're talking about transformation. 
Verse 3, our thinking. Verses 4 and 5, our teamwork. Okay, maybe he's not. Okay, I'm going to take it back. Maybe he's just looking these as separate themes, themes, right? Hey, this is about transformation. This is about thinking. This is about teamwork. And they're not linked together. Maybe, maybe I thought he was trying to connect it all to transformation. Maybe I misspoke and I'm, I'm not offering a fair critique and analysis here. I'm trying to follow where he's going with this, but let's see. Let's see. Let's just, let's just see how it plays out. Now, verses six, seven, and eight. We're talking about the task, and he lays it out. If, if you and I get transformed, we get our thinking headed right, we get on the team, what is the task? Well, he tells us there's seven items here. In fact, he tells us that God, by his grace, will gift us, and it's, it is a gift. He gifts us. You know, some people can walk up here and sing like a canary. Other people could walk up here and they would be so intimidated. They're so, I mean, it's just not the place where they want to serve. All right. Someone in the comment section just basically asked this question. Is he saying we don't conform because the body is made up of different parts? So we are supposed to be different and need to be transformed to be functional as a team Mate, okay, that if we're going to connect it all to transformation, that would be a better way to say it. Hey, if we are transformed, now the way we're going to be transformed, we got to change our thinking, we got to get our thinking right, and then we, if we are transformed, then we'll be on the same team, then we'll serve as a good teammate, then we'll show up, then we'll be a part of the body, maybe. Now, a part of me feels like that, that I, he was trying to connect each part to the concept of transformation, but now I'm not so sure if he's just saying, hey, verse one and two is transformation, this is thinking, this is not being on the same team, and now this next section is about the the task at hand and how we're going to be given a task. Is he going to connect it back to transformation? I don't know. Let, let's see how this plays out. There's some people who can go to the nursery and serve and uh, probably about 80% of us, it would drive us crazy. Now you say, what's the difference? Well, we're all gifted differently. And here, here's what he tells us that our, that our job is. He mentions prophecy, verse 6, that's talking about preaching. Verse 7, he talks about ministering and teaching. Verse 8, exhorting and uh, giving and ruling and mercy. Those seven items are the task. The preaching, proclaiming the word, preaching Christ, getting the gospel out. Ministry, that's a little broader term that includes a lot of things. Whenever we serve other people, help other people, minister to others. <coughs> the, the teaching is uh, more of a detail. I mean, you know, preaching's got, got some heat to it. Uh, teaching is more, I think, more methodical. We're just working through and learning details about things. And then the exhorting... Uh, that's that's a, uh, a a persuasiveness. That's a wooing. That's a, an encouragement that we do when we exhort, and and all of us need that. Just like we need the preaching, we need the ministry, we need the teaching, we need the exhortation. Uh, you know, uh, Betty, Betty and I saw something yesterday. Uh, fellow that uh, 
was led to Christ in our ministry uh, quite a number of years ago and uh, had some major, major issues. But uh, he's, he's just been ordained to the ministry. And, uh, <laughs> you know, I, I, just, just seeing, seeing that, hearing that announcement, I, I was thinking back to so many, many times when he was about to fall off the wagon and it was our job to encourage him. And, you know, he's doing great these days. And Which would once again indicate that the transformation doesn't occur at the moment of salvation. It, it happens positionally, but not practically. So I, this is called Be Ye Transformed, and I thought we were going to get more like how to be transformed. So I, this is kind of... I'm not sure where this is going, to be honest with you, okay? So I, if this keeps going in a direction where, if this ends badly, I'm going to have to blame someone. So anyone who's making comments currently in the chat, I'm going to blame one of you for this sermon. I am. I'm not going to blame myself because who does that? So he goes on to talk about giving and ruling. That means somebody's in charge. I know a lot of people react to that, but the Lord has given somebody charge of things at home, at church, etc. Somebody's in charge. I probably probably wouldn't want to be here this morning if there was nobody in charge. (laughs) But because somebody is in charge, and that means taking care of handling things, uh, that's that's important. And then the the, uh, the other gift he talks about is mercy. So all of this is the task. We get transformed, get our thinking working right, realize we're on a team. Well, what is this team going to do? Well, here's the task, these seven items. Now, we got one more big, I mean, absolutely huge paragraph left in this chapter. Starting in verse... 9, and continuing to the end of the chapter, according to my count, there are 26 items that I call tutoring. These, these are just little pinpoint items that if we're transformed and if we're thinking right and if we're going to be at the task and be on the team, here are some things that we absolutely need to be well tutored on. First of all, he says in verse 9, let love be without dissimulation. That means, that word dissimulation just means no pretense. Let your love be real. Let it be real. People walk through these doors. They need, they need to know that this is a loving fellowship. That doesn't mean we're not going to be firm about what we believe. doesn't mean any of that. But it does mean that we're going to have our arms open to receive people warmly. And they're going to be treated right while they're here. Let love show itself and let it be without pretense. No hypocrisy in it at all. Second thing that verse 9 says is, abhor that which is evil. Now, you know, that first instruction said love. This one basically says hate. <laughs> you say, well, what's the deal here? Listen, there, there are things going on in Jackson, Tennessee that, that ought to turn our stomach. You say, yeah, I pass one of those places on my way to work every morning. Well, 
don't park there. You know, just don't. I mean, y'all forgive me, but let me, let me, let me pause. I just saw a rabbit run by and I think I need to chase it. All of this stupid woke culture that's going on. I mean, I mean, I mean, I've had it, I've had it up to here with all of that. And I'm sure you have as well. And, and every, every little piece, I mean, I, I've got, I've got so many places on my don't go there list now. I mean, I mean, places that literally, I mean, there would, it would be no sin if I go in there. But because of what they're doing, I say, I'm not going to, I'm not going to spend not even one single peso. <laughs> I'm, I'm not going to spend a penny. I'm not going to spend a euro. I'm not going to give them any kind of encouragement at all with, with the stupid stuff they're doing. And uh, you say, what's the deal? Well, he's not he's not going to go to certain places because of stupid woke culture. But he's going to a major league baseball game. There's no woke culture in major league baseball. Well, I like I mean, I don't know what any of this has to do with the whole idea of being be transformed. But hey, stupid woke culture. That's what we have to be upset about. Stupid woke. Don't park there. Don't give them one cent. Hey, guys, on Friday night, I'm going to a major league baseball game. What? Like the ML, okay. I, I, I sometimes I'm baffled by this whole like, I'm not gonna give them a dime, but I'm gonna go here. I am not gonna give them a dime, but I'm gonna go. It just leads to so much inconsistency, right? Here's an idea. Maybe we shouldn't expect the lost world to not, I don't know, not act like lost people. I, I, I don't know. We're, I, we're, we're going to not give them a dime. We're going to, we're going to make them suffer because they don't act the way we want them to act because they bother us because we want to force conformity. Now, remember, he said, be transformed. Don't, don't go, don't go with conformity. Don't go with reformation. Don't just clean it up. But we want to force them to conformity. Hey, if you want our money, you will do what we tell you. Well, aren't you forcing conformity and not transformation? Aren't you trying to tell them to clean their act up instead of trans? Because if you're really preaching transformation, then you would just show love and live your Christian life out and then look for those whom you can approach to preach the word of God too. I, I, I don't know where this is going. It just seems odd. But okay, let's continue. Whenever they start lining up with, uh, you know, the queer crowd, they start lining up with, uh, you know, uh, uh, reinventing marriage. And All right, wait a minute. If they're, if they're going to line up with the, as he calls it, which I won't use the term, um, the homosexual crowd, I'm just, I'm just going to look here. All right, I'm just going to look here. Um, the MLB. Oh, look, here's the MLB pride hats. Oh, look at there. We have the MLB sells pride shirts. They have an entire collection of pride gear. Well, you're going to go to the MLB game? What are you going to do? Okay, now, now someone just says, but aren't we, so, we're supposed to be loving, but at the same time, we're supposed to abhor that which is evil. 
All right. So, and I do understand that it is hard to find that balance. I'll be the first to admit, let love be without dissimulation, abhor that which is evil. How do you find that balance? I, I do understand. But to me, I don't know what I'm accomplishing, but I'm not going to give them a dime unless they do things my way and then turn around and go to the MLB, which is very much a supportive of the uh, uh, pride each month, each uh, June. I like, I, I like what, what do you want people to do? Do you want them to just do what you want to believe what you believe? You can hate the evil, but do not demand simple conformity and reformation of those people when you yourself said what we should seek is transformation. All, all this kind of stuff, uh, I abhor that. Why is that? Because it's evil. It's an abomination. And uh, if they think they're going to shut us up, which some of this prevailing crowd right now, they think, they, they, not, on, they not only want to do all they're talking about, they want to shut us up so that we won't say anything. They say every time we start talking like I'm talking now, it's hate speech. Well, the fact that I abhor something doesn't mean I hate them. But it doesn't mean I'm going to go along with them either. And this passage tells us, I mean, you, you and I, if, if we don't get on our horse and ride when stuff like this is going on, then there'll be more of it and more of it and more of it. So if you don't get on your horse and ride, what are you going to do? Ride and you run around yelling and screaming at everyone? You must stop doing. This stuff has been going on for, I don't know, as long as humans have been on earth. Like, that's the thing. I don't get what Christians want. We're so mad because we don't like what the culture is doing. So we, we, we just want to yell at them. How about we preach the gospel? And then once they are saved, we teach them to observe all the things which Christ has commanded. It just seems Christians just want to tell everyone what to do because we don't like it. I don't like what you're doing, so I'm going to make sure you stop doing it by not giving you a dime or, or boycotting or protesting. Like, what? Where is that in Scripture? Call them to Christ. When they come to Christ, then teach them to obey. He he started the sermon with this brilliant idea that transformation is not the same as, as conformity or reformation. That's brilliant. I love that whole concept, and I still want to I want to work that out and flesh that out because I think it's brilliant. Because I think too many people's Christian life is nothing more than they conform to a standard. They were never transformed. There's never been transformation. It's conformity and trying to clean up. I, I, I think we need to explore that. But then he turns around and what does he want the world to do? He wants the world to conform to Christian standards. He wants the world to reform, to clean up their act. For what purpose? To make you feel better? This is tutoring to help us now so we can get the task done. Tutoring us, believers. As a believer, we should abhor what is evil, but you can't expect a lost person to abhor what is evil unless you simply try to conform them to a standard of hating what you declare to be evil, even though they don't believe it to be evil. So how about instead of yelling and screaming and protesting and boycotting, you give them the gospel, and then once they get saved, then you say, we are to abhor that is evil as a believer, right? It, okay, right. I don't know why this is so complicated. Be on, on the team like we should. 
the third thing he says in there in verse 9 is cleave to that which is good. If things are good, just stick to it like glue. Don't turn loose of it. Uh, verse 10, he says that we are to be kind. Kindly affectioned one to another with brotherly love. Uh, you know, brother, brotherly love, uh, <clears throat> two, two Greek words, Adelphos for brother and phileo, one of the love words. <clears throat> you know, the city of Philadelphia, phileo, Adelphos, city of brotherly love. Well, I, some of my friends up there say now that it's the city of brotherly shove. Because they've kind of forgotten how to behave. As a lot of the inner city, big city cultures are. Now, but in the context of where you and I live and work, what's it tell us? We are to be kind to one another. I saw yesterday filing through some stuff on my desk, and it's a little cartoon I clipped out of a, some Christian magazine many years ago. I've had it, I know I've had it for 50 years. But I saw it as a little cartoon about so big, two, two kids in the nursery, uh, toddler nursery. And the one kid says to the other, says to his buddy, he says, I'm going to teach you to be ye kind or I'm going to beat the tar out of you. <laughs> now, <laughs> he'd gotten part of it right anyway. Now, you know, some, sometimes, sometimes we adults, well, you know, we, we teach our children when they're toddlers, you know, the Bible says, be ye kind, and getting third, uh, three years old can quote that. And then we get to be 30 years old and we forget it. And we need to remember to be kind. Kindness is one of those principal things that, I mean, you can do it. We, we can do that. And if you catch yourself not... All right, so... He uh, clearly, the, first of all, uh, you, just if you know the proper distinction between law and gospel, this is law, 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 with obviously the idea that we can keep God's law. All right, so let's continue. I'm doing it. Well, correct yourself. Bible here. I mean, this is tutoring that we need if we're going to get the task done. All right. Uh, drop on down in uh, verse, where are we? We're in verse 10. Uh, then he says, in honor, preferring one another. In honor, preferring one another. That simply tells me that I ought to honor other people. I ought to push other people forward. I ought not to be so concerned about promoting myself, but promoting other people, helping other people. Betty and I have talked about this so any, any number of times through the years. <clears throat> One of the beautiful things that I've had the privilege to do, I had, I had the privilege when I was a pastor, I've had the privilege now for 28 years at the sword, I, I, get, to, I get to push some other people forward. I get to help some other people. And, and you know, the, the blessing of doing that, just getting to do for other people. The more that you get into what he's talking about here, the more you're going to like doing that. I promise you. All right? So it goes on to say, verse 11, not slothful in business. Okay, we'll have to stop there. I would challenge you, Sermons 2.0 app, sermonaudio.com. 
Look for the sermon, Be Ye Transformed, by Dr. Shelton Smith. It was part of a preaching conference that was held in 2023, somewhere over the last few months. Please check it out. Listen to the rest of the sermon. I think there's about 19 minutes left, maybe, um, maybe 18 minutes. Uh, you can probably find that part. They made it down to Romans chapter 12, verse 11. Romans chapter 12, verse 11. Well, we didn't really be ye transformed. And okay, he kind of said being transformed is basically salvation, but then he didn't articulate the difference between our position and our practice. He then, I, I don't really know what to make of that sermon. I don't really know. The best part of the sermon for me and all the parts that 67 minutes that we have spent working on this is drawing a distinction between reformation conformity, and transformation. I would challenge everyone to write down those three words, reformation, conforming, or conformity, or conforming, right? Conformity. So, reformation, confirmation, conforming, and transformation. And just try to look at the difference of those three ideas and just see in your Christian life how much of your Christian life has been nothing more than conforming or nothing more than reforming and how little of transformation has actually been present. And then you would have to ask yourself, how exactly does the transformation occur? Now, we know it occurs perfectly positionally in Christ practically daily, I think we're in the process of being transformed by the renewing of your mind. But we got to make sure it's true transformation and it's not simply conforming or reforming. I'd love to get your thoughts on that. To me, that's the most important part of the sermon. The rest of this, I don't really know exactly how it all fits together, per se. He's trying to come up with a, I don't know, maybe at the end he wraps it all together. That's what you'll need to go listen to, to see if he wraps it all together in a beautiful way at the end. And you'll be like, you missed the best part. It's at the end. Uh, so you can go listen to it again. Be ye transformed. Dr. Shelton Smith, you can find it on the Sermons 2.0 app or the Sermon Audio website. Check it out, please, so that they get the downloads and streams. And... uh so that you can hear the rest. All right. There we go. That's not what we're supposed to be reviewing today. We're supposed to be reviewing sermons from the uh, Sword of the Lord National Conference from 2022. I paid money to get the files, but the files are being sent to me on a thumb drive because I entered in some kind of weird time portal that takes me back to 1995 or 1996 because you would think they would just send you a link to the files. But I... I don't know what to tell you. There you go. But we will be reviewing sermons for the Sword of the Lord Conference 2022, and then we'll have everyone ready to go for the Sermon Conference 2023 so that we'll see what's going on in this world of theology. Obviously, in this world of theology, we get an idea right there. They're very upset about woke culture. We want, don't want to give woke culture a dime, but we'll go to an MLB game. Yeah, I, I don't... Yeah. We could have a long talk about that because clearly what he wants is for the world to conform and reform. He doesn't seem too interested in their transformation because if he did, he would preach Christ. They would be transformed positionally. Then they are taught practically to pursue obedience to all that God has commanded. But there we go. 
newsif at yahoo.com. Newsif at yahoo.com. I'm going to take a break because that's a 70-minute broadcast, and uh, we'll see if we can do some other broadcast sometime today. Thanks for listening. God bless.